Hey everybody, Chibi here. Before we get into today's conversation, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you. Thank you for showing us that you care about poetry and getting to know more poets across this country. If you've liked what you've heard so far, please make sure to hit that subscribe button, share these episodes, tell a friend, rate and review us wherever you can. And if you want to know more about the things and the initiatives that we are putting in place, you can look us up on Facebook at The Blah Poetry Spot. That is B-L-A-H, The Blah Poetry Spot on Facebook or Write Art Out on Instagram. That's W-R-I-T-E-A-R-T-O-U-T, Write Art Out. Thank you so much, and without further ado, let's get into today's conversation. Boom. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everything in between, that is Eddie Vega. And that is Chibi Orduña. <laughs> and this... And this- is, is words. words and shit a intimate performance and conversation with a different poet every week so that you can get to know the person behind the poetry eddie how are you doing today i'm doing i'm doing all right i'm doing all right you know because it's still in quarantine or you should be in quarantine you should never have gotten out of quarantine and some people did and that's why we're back in the um in the shit, you know. This is, this, this is real talk. At the very least, we now have a mask ordinance, you know. But, so. uh, yes, we have, <laughs> we have something. But I'm doing all right. I, I, if you notice, I had more hair last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that experiment is gone. Uh, <laughs> back, to, back to where we started. Uh, because I think it's a better look, yeah. We yeah. had to just chop that. Literally, just chop, chop just it off. Back, just cut it all off, yeah. It's a good look. You're, you're a trademark iconic bald head man. Thank you, thank you. So, yeah. I, I wouldn't. I don't. So now know. I can look like um, Vincent Hooper slash Edward Vidaure. Uh, maybe a little Mexa basic on that same that side. <laughs> uh, but I'm gonna. The new experiment is with a goatee. I'm gonna see if I can go for the uh, Anthony Flores look. Oh, let's see how long you yeah. can grow it out. Yeah, I remember I was on a family reunion once, and uh, one of my uncles like we had this big like bus like tour bus to take us around the city, and one of my uncles like wasn't on the bus. And the tour guy was like, what is it? Well, what does he look like? And we were like, well, he's kind of short. He's kind of chubby. He's bald. And one of my cousins was like, that's like all of them. <laughs> it's not healthy. Yeah. So, anywho, so good to Thank see you. you're looking fresh, feeling yeah. fresh, looking good and feeling fine. So, that being said, who do we have joining us this week? Oh, we have a treat. We have today, we have Carolina Hinojosa Cisneros. She's at Tejana. A Chicana, a Mujerista, a writer from San Antonio. She's a columnist for the Sojourners, contributor to Faith and Leadership, poetry co-editor for the journal Latina Critical Feminism. Her works appeared everywhere, including The Rumpus, The Ascentos Review, Christianity Today. And she's also the, this is the most important part, I think, is that she's the 2019 Ruben Alves Award in Theopoetics and serves on the board of Arts, Religion, and Culture. And a leadership team for AWP Latinx Writers Caucus. She is what we might call a chingona, a chingona. You know, in the colloquial. Mm-hmm. And um, she has a chapbook called um, "Becoming." And uh, it's through. And that's special to me also because uh, we were published right around the same time by the same press, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, Flower Song Books. Uh, we sat at a, a coffee, t- not a coffee. T- we sat at a table at Denny's 
talking about our publishing once and uh that was that was a great experience it was like 85 degrees outside and like 45 degrees in the Denny's. <laughs> somehow we got through it um hey turn your microphone on before we start um caro and we are so glad that you are here with us carolina glad to be here thank y'all how, ah, how, how are you feeling i'm feeling good mm. i'm like I'm sugared up. I have <laughs> a shot of espresso, shot of tequila. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Well, let us jump out of here and let's just get started the way we always do with the poetry. So Eddie and I are going to disappear and just hand the stage over to you uh, so that you can share some of your amazing work and then we'll be back and have a conversation. Okay. Sounds good. The one I'm going to read for you today is called Testimonio of the Body. And so Rubem Alves is a liberation theologian, and he states, The mystery of God is the mystery of our own bodies. Testimonio of the Body. You, like a jasper stone, healer of duplicitous tongue, Courageous salt deposit, I find you unmoved, misshapen, borrowed from familiar words, guided light, unmuted beneath my Lazarus shroud, arisen from dust-lust sins of my foremothers, spoken for, removed from implicit layered tierra firma, Kneaded bands of our stories, smudged clay soul. How like Mary we wept. Hungry generational wound, vigilant keeper of history, bold liar. But in me, imago dei, thirst from wellspring. My body I aligned with you, crowned with a thorned faith. Heaven, open mouth spoke, fix your eyes in upward wonder. You, like a jasper stone, nurture of creative inner spirit. Wise evening traveler, I find you contemplative, subtle, an accidental mulch. And that one is from my chapbook, Becoming Close Little. The next one is called The Unwelcome. And this one was published in The Rumpus last year, um, April, I think it was last year, for National Poetry Month. The Unwelcome. Doubt chose the curtains, undressed our home, like a carcass ready for burial. I made love to doubt when it left behind sinewy, broken-hearted attempts. I drew a bath without sea foam promise. I let it choose canela in mommy's rice water. I stuck my dirty tongue in doubt offered it purple pens to write my sorrows twice. I grabbed its working hand, kissed it like sudden death held its lying gaze. 
I pierced its rib cage, pulled a sacrament from my wet bosom, and sent it on its way. And I'll read another one that was also in the rumpus. Um, this one actually was born out of a workshop. I had gone to Houston, um, invited by um, Jasmine Mendez and Lupe Mendez uh, for Tinderos project. And they had a workshop that was uh, led by Lina Kalaftufaha. And it was the most amazing workshop I had ever attended. Um, and this poem was born in that workshop. Self-portrait as bone. Broken in four places. At the joint where Ma came home with another man desperate for the shade of a family tree. Under the marrow, where my thighs welcomed a man I did not want. Between the cavity, where the matriarch pinched the eagle's beak and abuelacer, te lo dije por andariega. In the cartilage, where I am mother and stranger, both the same. And those are from my chat book, Becoming Costotl, uh, published by Flower Song Books. I did want to share with you, I don't get to read this one very often, but I was very um, happy to write this one. It is, I mean, all of my poems, right? Um, but this one was for Christianity Today. It was in the Hispanic Higher Education Resource Guide, uh, La Escuela, La Familia y el Futuro. And this one is called Prayer from a Latina Seminarian. I unearth you across languages, excavate you from borderlands, a divine map of Imagode. You filled with agua bendita a catechism of ravine carved questions. Exegesis pours out from where I kneel before your throne. Dalabare. Overflow washes this sin-laden throat, gives nueva vida from your eternal word. An anchored praxis. I drink you, fuente de mi alma. I press into transculturation where I first found you in varying robes. I worship you in distinct tongues of faith, familia, and community, en lo cotidiano. My activism is Holy Spirit work surrendered. To God be the rooted glory. Dreamers are generations of hopeful theology held wrapped in canyonous palms. God is the only one who walks el peregrinaje with a wearied traveler. I am filled with adoration, esperanza spills over from a porous bucket near the well of seminary. I proclaim Jesus. Bendito sea tu nombre, blessed be your name. 
I discover you in the east, a daybreak kiss, majestic embrace, right before the fall, amidst the sacrosanct. From prayer to meal, a feast of plenty in the priceless purchase for me in Gethsemane, before crucifix and salvation, from farm work to soul work, I find you on hands lifted up high, our voices cantando coritos and alleluia praise. From matriculation to liberation, a great exodus, you rip me from chains, honor the holiness in me, mirror of shared wounds. You call to me, mi hija, draw near, you champion my cause, spell out in verse how alive you are in me. I unearth you across tongues where you fill the unequipped with new voice and continued purpose. You disentomb me from history, una resurrección de la historia liberada. You call me and I am risen alongside you. Adelante. This one is called Fiesta. I gather these mo moments, string them together like the papel picado in our living room festive, yet peckered nonetheless. In America, I am celebrated for my ability to give birth, but to keep my full-time job, I must be cut and shaped with precision, hung in an office which holds cheap conversations. The onlooker convinced I am a beautiful piece of decor to adorn the walls on Cinco de Mayo. That one is also in the chat book. Mm. Let's see what other one I can read. This one is particularly exciting. Holy is a bird's cry. I was really trying to listen to birds. Um, I think birds are our greatest storytellers. And for a time, I was not hearing birds sing um, in my hustle and bustle in my uh in my inattentiveness i was missing so much of the world i think that covid has really situated me in a place where i can't help but listen right it's almost like a a, a deep draw anyway so the next one is called holy is a bird's cry holy spirit can you hear Ashes of my before mothers vacillate over my limp body. Temptation coils my throat, vexed desert sands canyonous. Treason is deft possibility. Mirage of doubt pesters like a buzzing fly at death. I hear Mary call my faith, mother. I do not pray anymore. I feel the Jesus of my mother cup the crane of my neck, close his eyes over the kettle. 
and blow medicine into the fold. He brings his mouth to speak, but I have already fluttered away. I have, I have quite a, I have another one. My poems are very short. Um, they're getting longer the more that I write, but I feel that I want you to be able to sit down like a little, like a probadita, like just a little, um, a little cookie that you can take with you to eat. Um, that's what I had hoped that the chat book would be just something very um, palatable, easy, accessible. So my poems tend to be shorter in here. Um, this is one of my favorite. It's called In La Kesh, specifically for my daughters. <laughs> Mija, you are more than shared flesh. You are warrior at evening time. You are powerful voice at morning prayer. You are ancestral lucha burning sage under your bare feet. Descalza, the earth ignites you into the day como águila, eagle spirit. Mija, you are of madre tierra. You are trenzas por la madrugada. Holy Spirit ribbons through each braid of charcoal. You are curious fingers through carrot strips. Orange fire in your mouth. A dragon of giggles. Where I find God on a chipped tooth. Here's another one. This one is called Leftover Olives. My grandma used to think that um, olive oil was just a saintly oil, that it could cure anything. So when we would get sick, she would rub the oil underneath our feet and she would cover them with socks. Um, pa curar el resfrío, she would say. And so I wrote this one um, with that thought in mind. Leftover olives. I ate leftover olives. Mother used the oil to swab the bottom of my feet. A resfrío cure all, cures a cold that jars my chest, screams into the air, dies, heaving brute lungs. Wise medicine, tales from Mama Grande. This next one I wrote quite a bit ago. This, um, Laurie Ann Guerrero had a community uh, workshop at Palo Alto College where she had invited members of the community to take a workshop with her. And that was a, a beautiful workshop. I, so this poem was born in that workshop. It's called Cantarito. Water tastes of clay. Gritty tongue ignites memories of thirst. She begged for rain, sat on mother's lap, empty clay jug. The well underground, tiny hands pull, sun-crisped rope. 
water-filled buckets, wind-chapped lips, eyes eager witness. Lips lick clay, inhale water birth, exhale civilized nations, village fosters mothers, people brought forth seasons of savage beasts steal water, held for ransom well above ground, strong hands lock water-filled towers for eager lips. Chapped with witness, her hands hold the cantarito filled with purchased water. Gritty tongue ignites memories of thirst. And I like I wish you. I like reading that one, but maybe I'll do a different one. I mean, it's a chat book, right? Like, <laughs> I just read the whole thing. Um, Decolonial Cartography of the United States of America. This one was born from a creative writing workshop at Our Lady of the Lake University and one of my courses uh, with Professor Nan Cuba. We had done a project where I, uh, I used a map in order to create my lesson or my lecture for, the, for that evening. And so this, this was born from that, Decolonial Cartography of the United States of America. I trace my fingers over the equator on the Mercator map. I recall the map. America Invertida, where the North is not pregnant with empire, where the South is barefoot queen. Yay! Very, very nice, very nice. Very soothing. Your voice is very, very comforting, um, especially during the, during this time. And you're talking about some important subjects, uh, but your your voice kind of comes through as um, maybe like a vocal curandera uh, for us. But yeah. I want to, you know, the first question I want to ask, because I don't think that a lot of people have an idea of what liberation theology is. And uh, you, you mentioned that the, about the award, Ruben, uh, the Ruben, uh, this award. Um, what is liberation theology? So uh, I don't want to overstep. <laughs> You're the theologian. <laughs> so in, your, in, your, in your own words, what's liberation theology? <laughs> so liberation theology is a theology of the people. It is was born um, and has very deep roots in Latino, Latin America. And so the people's uprising, always there was a deep faith um, embedded in to the people to rise up so that they could um, overthrow their government, right? Um, for being fascists. So liberation theology is a theology of the people. It is um, immersed in the language of the people. It is of the people for the people. Um, and it's a grassroots movement um, in order to make change, um, to make well, um, and to free people who are 
held captive and enslaved by fascism. Hmm. Interesting. I like that. So, I mean, one could argue that a lot of what is being written in our current state could be of that, you know, from the people for the people against a fascist regime. Um, I'm going to second what Eddie said about the way that you speak. So like if writing doesn't work out for you, you could always do like guided meditations and earn a whole bunch of money that way, I'm sure. Um, the other thing that you work a lot in is uh, theopoetics, you know, and I'll be honest, like I had no idea what that meant. And so I went and did a little Google search and read up a little bit on it and still had no idea what that meant. Uh, and, and then, uh, you were kind enough to send me your book. And I love how you described it as like just a little brevadita, right? You can just sit down, enjoy it, and then move on. And that's exactly what I did. I read through it. And suddenly this idea of theopoetics was so clear to me because it's so prevalent in your work. Can you, in just 60 seconds or less, for people that don't know the concept of theopoetics, explain it and then talk a little bit of how it, it works in you and in your work. Absolutely. So theopoetics, and I'm going to steal from Ashley Thuring here, but it is, um, it's a liminality, right? It's the tension between hope and trauma. There is a middle ground there. And so living in that liminality and creating from within that, um, tying in, and so using the language of the academy, um, you know, theology into the work of art, except that I think that academic language misses the everyday person. We don't talk like that, right? Like, we're, I'm on the south side. We're in the barrio. Where's the <laughs> language? We're people have been creating, the, you know, theopoetics for a long time. Um, in my context, at least, right? Um, the west side. Eddie, you know this, and so we see it all the time. There was just never any language for it, um, and so the academic language is is theopoetics, but it is wrestling um, with the tension between hope and trauma and recognizing that there is a middle there and that church language completely misses um, the opportunity to articulate what it is that we are feeling, um, mm. especially during these times. Mm. It's almost like expanding on that idea of like Nepantla, but bringing in the, the religious aspect of it. Correct. Oh, but okay. Yeah, but religion of the everyday person as well, right? Because usually everything is so geared toward Christianity, but we never ever talk about like our Muslim brothers and sisters, the Sikhs. We never talk about Buddhists or or even atheists. Like they're not even included in that language. And I think it's a grand opportunity that we miss. Um, Hmm. There's a great uh, question in the comments uh, on this subject exactly. They're asking, is liberation theology more common in Christian or Catholic religions than other religions? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> question to either of you. To Eddie. I say it's prevalent in Catholicism, but I'm going to hand it to no, you. No, no, I mean, you're, I mean it's, it's something that um, grew out of a... Catholic experience in Latin America 
And it's like you were talking about, you know, we talked a lot in our classes about religion popular, popular religion, um, where, and the popular religion was always like looked down upon by the academy, right? And liberation theology, theopoetics are, is something that kind of like comes from the people and looks up instead of looking down. Um, and that, and that, and I'm not saying that you can't have that experience in other religions, but this particular experience, you know, uh, grew up from, I'm sorry, this particular um, academic endeavor, I guess. Um, and that's the other thing. It's not totally academic. Like, religion, what I love about liberation theology, and I think what you touch on and what you do in your work, is that it actually does something. It's not an academic thing. And in this country, when I was learning theology, we, like, learned about liberation theology, and we debated whether or not it was a good thing. But when I lived in Mexico, mm. we were like, it was like a given. Like nobody was debating anything. It was just there, you know? And I guess that's kind of like my, my next question to you is like, why do you think that we still have, you know, liberation theology has existed for like 50, 60 years. Why do we still have these questions about what it is to people who claim that they're Christian? Mm. You're going to make me go there. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> yeah. Right out the gate. Let's go. Well, unpopular opinion, right? Like when we talk about colonization, um, we are colonized people, right? And so from that, colonization doesn't end at um, Catholicism. It doesn't end there. Like now there's a, a reconfiguration of what religion is and it's, popular religion, right? It's the feel-good Christianity. Um, and so we have now taken Catholics and we have said, no, that's wrong. You cannot keep your indigeneity with your practice of faith. And so now you have to be given this shiny new and beautiful thing. And I'm not, um, I'm not at all, I'm trying not to be a heathen, <laughs> you know, saying this, but I think that we're given, um, we're we're such a we're such a country of entitlement right like everything has to be easy it has to be certain um and we're so we feel so entitled to things there's never any more hard conversations that we have and so i think to be able to think critically that we have to um we have to find uncomfort and we have to talk about you know we have to talk about hard things <laughs> that people have hard time talking about, um, especially when it comes to religion, um, because as, as long as you're criticizing religion, people think you're a heathen, right? But it's not. It's it's sharpening the iron. And... Yeah, yeah it's like, no, I, I used to hear uh, if you're reading the gospel to be comforted, then you're reading it wrong. Mm -hmm. It should be challenging you to uh to be a better person and to like work and challenging your view on society that's the way instead of um it should be pissing you off is what that's, that's the way i interpreted it yes. right like people don't have access to clean water right now flint michigan like why would you not think of a theology of liberation right like mm -hmm. we are yeah I mean, it's that idea like nothing, nothing worth having comes easy, right? You know, like change, progress, catharsis, like comes through struggle, you know? So it, 
like you said, we should be having difficult conversations. We should be uncomfortable because if we're not uncomfortable, that means we're content, right? right? And there's a lot to not be content about right now. Yeah. Now, does that inform the title of your book? So the title of my book actually is born from a, um, so Kostopu is a yellow bird in Nahuatl, right? And since I, I believe that birds are storytellers, ancient storytellers, they're witness to so much. Um, what my book does, what the title does is it pushes back against um English, right, as the dominant language, it pushes back against even Spanish, which is also a colonial language. Um, and it, it sheds new life, it's hard to articulate in your mouth. And then there's a purpose for that, because it's supposed to make you work in your mouth, right? Um, so yeah, it, it is anytime like, you know, just what you know, like all these words that come from that now, it, it forces muscles in your mouth to work, you know, and it's interesting that relation between like the spiritual work and then the, the oral work that has to be done just to speak the language. When um, the body, the way that the body has to work to articulate, like the whole body has to work to articulate any experience. So. Mm -hmm. We, we had, a, again, another great question coming from the comments um, saying nature is such a prevalent element in your work, you know, uh, and so they're curious, how has your relationship to, to nature changed in your life and in your work now during these quarantine times? What a great question. You know, when we were relegated to lockdown in March, um, we... I felt this incredible urge um, to create, right? As I believe that all creative artists are called to. Um, I was pulled to the earth, just so like con ganas, con, like it was calling, like feed me. And so all I did was plant and my grandma hated giving me plants. She's like, las matas <laughs> like. No, mijita. I would go to her house and I would see this beautiful thing. Oh, grandma, can I have, ni sabes lo que, no, you don't even know its name. You're going to kill it. No, we're not doing that. So um, she did give me a ruda and she gave me some nopalitos and I started planting seeds and just being at home and being attentive to the way that I am um, creating with and in unison with the earth, everything just started flourishing. Apparently I have a green thumb. So I called my grandma and I said, guess what? I didn't kill. <laughs> oh, love it. <laughs> well, more power to you. I don't, I have a black thumb. I do kill everything I touch. Uh, my husband's the, the gardener here. Uh, but it's so interesting how like this, this shelter in place has kind of forced stillness on us. You know, hat, and it sounds like that has brought you closer to yourself, nature, your work, your writing. Is that an accurate assumption? No, that's very accurate. Absolutely. Uh, that there is, and time is such a wrong word um, to say that you have more of or room for, because mm -hmm. I don't think it's time. Um, 
It's definitely space, but not space as in place that we know it, that we can see that's so tangible, but that there's room, space mm. to, you know, sit in the backyard, listen to all the birds, que no se callan. No se callan a las seis de la mañana. <laughs> I'm like, y'all are up? What is this? <laughs> And just different birds, you know, I, I, everything. It's just, it's beautiful to see that the earth, not that it was waiting, but that it was like, finally, like what took you so long? I'm, mm. I've been here, you know? If you remember, I, I don't know if this happened to you all, but when we locked down, I think the first two weeks, everything was so green, like nobody was going anywhere and everything was just like amazing. Mm -hmm. um, I think. Yeah, finally... that, yeah. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I thought you paused. Oh, mm -hmm. No, no. I mean, what you're saying is like, I, I remember seeing those pictures of like Taj Mahal and uh, I think the Himalayas and places where all of a sudden you could see everything because it had all cleared up. And like the, like the earth was, like you said, like the earth was breathing all of a sudden, like, thank you. We needed this little reset. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think, I think we all did. I think this is, you know, to hark back on, on uh, the subject earlier, you know, this is a liminal space that we're in right now. You know, we're going to get through this and we're going to come out. The question is like, when we do, you know, do we have those uncomfortable conversations? Do we push through the struggles to create change and progress or do we just go back? you know, which I think a lot of us, especially in the creative community, do feel like th there is no going back, right? Mm. You know, how how do you feel like this this moment of quarantine has changed your perspective on you and your work going forward? Mm. I'm definitely more intentional about it. I used to say I don't have time, you know, now I wake up four in the morning, five in the morning, get up, journal, go um start the day make a cafecito the baby gets up and it's time to log in for work right but every single day uh i don't even have to like it's not like Ay, que batalla. i have to get up and make sure i get it in it's not that way at all it's definitely an intentional space that i've created and i don't think i'll ever go back to not you know being intentional about waking up and writing, even creating, even when the words don't come. Um, in one of our courses uh, with Dr. Quintanilla, he had introduced us to Cecilia Vicuña, who makes poems out of earth things. She makes the poems out of the ocean and dirt and, and, and rocks. I mean, she's just incredible. Look her up if you, if you don't know her work. After that madness, I wanted to use my hands for everything. And so if I wasn't able to get it out with a pen, I was taking little scraps from here and there and just trying to piece things together. Um, yeah, just yeah. expanding the creative knowledge. That's amazing. So let's, let's switch gears a little bit because you, again, you recently published your amazing book. Go buy it if you if you haven't already. Um, so let's talk about the the publishing aspect of that. What was the process of you know having a whole bunch of poems in your Word documents and then creating then getting this final product printed and published? Yeah, 
So shout out and, and major credit to Irene Lara Silva. Um, I had, you know, Gran Maestra. She works in the background, you know, and I say, I she says, why don't you have a book of poetry yet? Like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, nobody wants it. I met with this Christian publisher, it's not Christian enough. I met with this one and this one says they're not finished and they might be right, you know. <laughs> Um, and she said, oh, let me look, let me, let me take a look. And I imagine that she's going, oh, let me take a look. Cause this is through messenger. So I can't hear her. <laughs> you didn't hear that sigh of exasperation. No, but I'm sure she was like, ay, 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 niña, mándamelo. No. So I sent it to her. She looked it over and she said, okay. And now this is the next step is that you reach out to people that you think will believe in your work and you have them write a blurb and the order is fine. And I said, that's it. You just reach out. And she said, that's it, you know, and find um, um, an artist for your cover. Do you have anything in mind? And I said, oh, Jade Leva, I'm so in love with everything she creates. She said, reach out to her. And I said, just like that, I don't know who she is. And she says, yes, just reach out. So I did. Um, and I said, Jade, I would like to um, purchase. Uh, I didn't know how much it would cost. I would like to purchase a graph, you know, a picture for my front cover. This is the book that I'm sending on. And she was so generous. I paid her a fee that just a small fee. Um, very, very generous woman. She sent me the file and there was the cover to the book. And then it felt so real. And then she said, you know that Edward Vidaudi um, is with Flower Song and he's putting out great work. Um, why don't you send it to him so that he can take a look at it? And I said, okay. So I got my blurbs um, from Dr. Octavio Quintanilla, um, from Natalia Trevino and from Irene Lara Silva. I put them on there, sent them off. He sat down with it with his wife, with Liliana. Um, I think they were having breakfast over reading it. And I just fell in love with that entire personal experience of I'm sitting with my wife at the table and I'm reading your poems to see if I want to publish them. Um, and to me, just the beauty of having even a small publisher, um, I thought, why am I trying to go way over here when this, this feels so right. It feels good um, that it's a, a familial thing. And so sure enough, he said, okay, we'll go ahead and move forward with, with the publication. I'll send you a contract. And after that, I was like, what, what happens now? <laughs> <laughs> it's real. <laughs> Wait, hold on, hold on. You got a contract? Yes. No. Okay, no, I, I don't know. I, I, I kept getting promised a contract too. I don't remember seeing one. I signed it. I thank you. Uh huh. February. Muchas gracias. Yeah. He's gonna be on here next week, so we're gonna have to ask him about that. You know. Uh, yeah, we gotta talk about contracts. Like, where's all this going? You know. Mm. So it sounds like. So it sounds like you you were attempting with with larger, more national presses first, and then settled on this smaller press. I think you you kind of touched on it a little bit. It was like this personal aspect of it. But what else do you feel like really pushed you in that direction? Why small presses? 
So, um, and I'll start with, I used to go to a lot of Christian conferences, Christian writing conferences, because I wanted to know what are they doing? What's the insight? What's happening here? Um, how do I get published, right? Like I'm looking around, I'm studying people. Oh, oh, they wrote a book proposal. What is that? You know, um, and so I met with a few acquisitions editors and a few publishing houses and everyone before they even looked at, you know, my book proposal, they wanted to know right away, what's your platform? How many followers do you have on Twitter? How many followers on Facebook? Do you have a newsletter? How many subscribers? Like every one of those houses. And I thought you have to have a platform, like you have to be Twitter famous before somebody's going to give you a book contract. All right, I'm digging into Twitter. So <laughs> I started a Twitter account and thought, oh, geez, I don't even know what to post, but I'll just post random thoughts, right? Um, or how I feel or what I'm thinking. And I built the platform little by little, but it was funny that everybody wanted to see that. Now, I will tell you that one acquisitions editor that I met with, I'm still friends with her and she will still call me every year, every few months. And she'll say, Carolina, are you ready? Are you ready? Do you have a proposal? Do you have this? What's your idea? Let's, let's go back and forth with it. And it's just really helpful to have that relationship with someone. But I think that choosing a smaller press was wise only because I didn't want to be, uh, what is that? It's not the good word for it, but like pimped out. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Monetized essentially. Monetized. Oh, it's a better word. It should be. <laughs> <laughs> no, you see, you're being true. Say pimped out. Yeah. Pimped out. <laughs> so, um, and, and, and going out at, like it all comes out in the end. And so I thought if I go with a small press and they get me different gigs in Texas, well, I can drive around Texas, right? I can go stay with a friend. I can go stay here. Um, and it ended up working out really well that way because Irene knows somebody over here. Edward knows somebody over there. Eddie knows somebody over there. And then all of a sudden I'm reading with Eddie and I'm reading with all these people that I completely admire, Joe jo reyes Boitel, And I'm like, man, these are hard hitters. Like uh, I'm reading with legit. Yeah, no, I was like, I'm reading with legit people here. Um, that was a beautiful experience because I got to meet all the people that I admire in my own community. And so I think that that was, that yeah. was, yeah yeah because we were we were at the texas book festival right and i think that was the ring you're talking about where Irena was a uh was the moderator and joe myself and you and we're walking around and i was awestruck too because you know jericho brown was like next to us you know and uh and there was like uh there was all these like people at that that party that they had you know with like breakfast and everywhere you turn you know i mean some of them you just have to like you see a name tag because you don't always know what an author looks like, but you see like the name on there and you're like, oh my gosh, these people. But what did it feel like? Because I think we were had that same kind of awestruck is that now you're part of the club. Now you're the published, uh, the published writer with a book. Like, what has that experience been like? I do get calls and emails if I, you know, want to come here. Do you want to do this? Do you want to speak about that? 
schools will say, can you talk about your book? Will you come to my class um, virtually and online? All because of this book, right? Like I'm not swimming in royalties or anything, but this book has really landed me to meet some people and to make really beautiful connections um, across the United States, right? Even in Mexico, like, and I've had the pleasure of just going everywhere simply because I'm trying to have a dialogue. Um, at first I was a little trepidatious saying, oh, I can talk about theology, right? Because there's so many people that have their PhD. I mean, they're up there, right? And I think this is something that I love. It's so close to my heart and I just want to enter into this conversation. And so the way they tell you, if you know, if they don't invite you to the table, you kind of invite yourself. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and I think just engaging in dialogue, um, that is actually dialogue, right? Um, that I think has really opened up a huge world for me. I remember messaging David Bowles on Twitter. I had only ever known him on Twitter, but he says, you know, he gives us these now at lessons on Twitter all the time. And so I thought, I'm going to ask him if he will tell me if this means yellow bird and if it means it correctly, right? Like I wanna be sure that I'm using the, and he was so easy. Yes. You know, and he gave me the etymology. (laughs) It was just beautiful. But so I guess what I'm trying to say is that I've been afforded many opportunities because of the book. And I'm really, I'm really grateful for that. Um, Going to the Theopoetics conference uh, when I was so honored with, um, Y'all, I have to tell you, like, I have to tell you what the award was because I cried. (laughs) Um, So I go and I have book in hand and there's all these Theo poets there, all amazing artists, all at this, having this conversation, you know, people from Homeboys there. Um, I met some amazing, amazing people at this conference. Um, And the award was hand carved by Khaled and I don't know if he'll if he'll um, read this or he'll listen to this later but he carved this apple out and it the box says tell different stories right and I'm like oh my gosh um what an honor right like you get an apple and it's hand carved anyway I thought to be teacher to always be teachers, to always remain in dialogue. And so I'm grateful for the book. It's allowed me to talk to a lot of people. Um, and it's just a compilation of poems from everywhere. But because Irene said, send it to Edward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hurry up. To like, you know, you know, to, to like, to like push you or, or yank you out, you know, saying that you've got to do this. I mean, maybe that's like the the biggest part of you know lesson for someone who wants to publish is um they just gotta throw themselves out there right i agree just go for it and they're gonna tell you no everywhere but it's because it's not a good fit everywhere um and to be to be close you know with people in your community and to be sure that you're always paying that respect back now that you've done this for me, right? Like, how can I be a champion for you the way you championed me? I mean, 
it goes both ways, right? Like I remember for a while just tweeting my friends like, oh, it's a great book. Oh, they have a new book. And I'm like, I don't have a book yet, but they're great. <laughs> and someone noticed that. They said, how come you're not promoting your stuff and you just promote other people? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I admire like to remain. There's plenty of room for everybody, right? Like there's space here. We can we can share the, the platform mm-hmm. or whatever. But I think it's important to promote other people um, as well. Now, you mentioned something earlier, you know, like, uh, I don't think we announced this at the beginning of the show, Eddie, we're terrible. But in July, we are focusing on like the business of poetry, right? And we're trying to impart as much wisdom as we can to other writers and other poets out in the community through this and through the guests that we're having on. Uh, You mentioned the term acquisition editor. For someone who maybe isn't familiar with what that is, what is the role of an acquisition editor and why are they important to have a, you know, relationship with? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. So the two that I am still friends with, I met on Twitter um, and we formed really good relationships. But what they are, I think, is they're like recruiters for their um, for their publishing houses. So what they'll do is they'll go look on Twitter to see who's trending or different, you know, see what they like. Or they'll go on Facebook and look at different things. And that person the acquisitions editor is the one who acquires the author, right? So what they'll do is they'll look for somebody and they'll invite them into a conversation. Hey, have you thought about a book? What does that look like? Do you have a one sheet? And so a one sheet would be what explains what your book is about. That's the one sheet. And so they read the one sheet. They'll send it over to um, a team that will say yes or no, or they'll ask you for a whole book proposal. And that entire book proposal, you can find templates of them online. They'll take that to the board and say, the book proposal has like, it's basically a written book. Chapter one, this is what it's about. Chapter two, this is what it's about. And then at the end, you have the first two chapters completely written out, Hmm. submit. That was difficult. I'm like, I don't know what these chapters are about yet. it's in development (laughs) so um but the acquisitions editor is the person who reaches out to you to acquire um you or your idea cool so outside of your book you have been published in a myriad of um journals uh and presses your work has appeared in quite a few places what is that process like of of finding presses for your work and getting them published? So I will tell you, many moons ago in undergrad, I would like randomly send things out. Um, I remember now sending the crazy horse and like all the glam everywhere. I was just like, somebody take me, somebody take me. <laughs> Love me, please. Love me. Um, but now in the process, it's whatever aligns with the call, right? If they're calling for a certain topic or a certain area, research this place. Like for example, the Acentos Review. If you go to the Acentos Review and you see their call, who are the editors? Um, what do the editors write about? What are they calling for? What is the theme of that particular issue? 
And if you have something that aligns with what they're asking for, and you have confidence in the journal, like, um, then you send your work over and be sure to follow the guidelines. Um, otherwise, they may not look, you know, they get so many submissions, they may not look at your poem or your short story or your flash fiction or whatever. Mm -hmm. Now, did you ever purchase any of those like uh, writer's markets or like those big, you know, writer market of, 20, of 2020 or whatever? I did. A long time ago, I did. Um, it'd be such an unpopular opinion. I really didn't feel that it helped me. Uh -huh. um, I couldn't find my way through the book. Now, this was about maybe six years ago, seven years ago. No me hallaba, like, and it's so big. And I thought, I don't, I don't know what to do with this, right? And so, Google, <laughs> where <laughs> can I find poetry about blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then, you know, something will come out. This was before I found out about poets and writers. I'm being real wrong with you. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I, I so totally, I, I get that. A very well-meaning uh, person gave me one of those for Christmas in like 2002 or something. And just like you said, like, what do you do with this? It's, it's like a dictionary Bible-sized book. Uh, with and it's got so much in there, it's overwhelming. But like you said, poets and tell us about poets and writers though. What are they? How did that help you? Well, that one you can go and you were able to find like, I would just go find my favorite writer. Where are they published? What are they getting in? Oh, okay. And then from there, I would find another writer. Oh, they're publishing this. I see. Um, Really, so it was at home. Poets and writers is you mean like the <laughs> website, right? Yeah, poets and writers community or or, or dot org or dot com website. Yeah, where you just go and the search button, you search like your one of your favorite poets, or you find a a poem and you click on it, and it can take you like some more like this or some more from this author. And so mm -hmm. I found that really intriguing and quick. Because if you think about it now, by the time they publish Poets and Writers, some of those presses have closed, some more have opened, some are mm -hmm. online, um, some are mom and pop, you know, like, yeah. it's obsolete by the time it hits the market, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how I found your work, you know, was like on Poets and Writers. And I was like, oh, great. This has links before I realized, like, we're friends on Facebook. I can just message her <laughs> directly <laughs> to get her work. Um, so I have I have just one more question for you, honestly, unless, you know, the conversation just keeps going. Uh, but it's we have poets on here from uh, not just on the show, but also that watch the show that come from many different backgrounds right that lead them towards writing and poetry and eventually it seems like they're all met with that same question that Shakespeare once asked which is to MA slash MFA or not to MA slash MFA you know and you clearly chose that route right um, what has that being a part of that program brought to you and your writing that you feel like you might not have had without it sure so definitely the name of our university has been really helpful in other people, even other theologians saying, oh, you go to this school? Oh, you're in this program? Um, 
and then have dialogue. Um, but the, the program has really helped with shaping different connections that I would not have otherwise. I mean, they've marketed, like when the book came out, they had a book release for me. Um, when I won the award, they put it in the weekly newsletter um, that goes out to the community and an email distribution. So those have been really, really um, helpful for me and very fruitful. Um, they definitely champion me um, and whatever it is that I'm doing. And it just so happens, right, that my, my writing aligns with the mission it just it so happens that it that's what it is and I heard about the program through Victoria um, Valenzuela she is the one who said hey you're looking at programs have you thought of this program and I said I didn't even know that existed and so I applied trepidatiously because I didn't think anybody was ever gonna want me and my horrible undergrad <laughs> transcripts <laughs> um but it turns out, wow, yeah, it turns out that it was the right time to go back to school. Um, I have been very, very glad. Our chair is is phenomenal, um, Dr. Candice Abella. She's just at every turn. What are you reading? What's helpful? How? What can I read that you're reading? What do you have questions about? Um, I love theory. And so she's always reminding me how it fits. Okay. What about theopoetics and what about, you know, it's been so, very um, this is my, my last comment slash question is uh, one of my friends is on the chat or in the, in the uh, here. Uh, Cause I, I meant, you know, I should have told so many more people like personally, like, Hey, you've got to come for this. Uh, and I, and I actually texted her um, like right before you went, we went on the air and I was like, Carolina's going to be on, you need to be on this chat, on this uh, live program. That's And that's uh, Dr. Naomi Danda. She's a professor out in Dayton, at the University of Dayton. And um, she asked me for like my poems about like thinking that they were theological, uh, religious. Um, and I'm like, they're not. She says they are. And I'm not going to dispute it too much. They um, are. <laughs> but I said, I said, no, you've got to read Carolina's stuff. Like that one is directly, um, so anyway, so she recommends your book. She gives it to students or tells students to get it. Uh, it's out there. You're, 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 you're going out to uh, more and more places outside of our little South Texas uh, enclosure. Um, it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, I met Dr. Deanda. She is an amazing woman theologian I just like saying that when it comes to women because there's not enough Latina theologians and so when I meet one you know una chicana amazing we had lunch together and I'm nerding out I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> I just fine. wanted to pick her brain so much about um everything I wanted to take a class but she's like we're eating lunch like <laughs> um, you know I am really grateful. I don't want to forget that there's a community here that fosters my growth. And I don't want to forget that there's also a whole theopoetics community that fosters my growth. Um, they found, or we found each other, um, on, you know, through the interwebs, of course. And that community has been solid as well. And just to be able to say, 
that I have community here and community there. I just think um, I'm humbled. Like, I'm just so glad. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very grateful that, that people believe as much as I believe in my own work that people believe as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I always want to make sure that there, I want to be a constant learner, that there's, I don't want to be leaving somebody out of the conversation. And I need to know that when I speak through a theological lens or a theopoetics lens that someone might say, that's not for me because I don't do theology. And I want to say that um, it's for everybody, right? Like it's for the everyday person. Um, and we can use it against the regime. But, uh... <laughs> Power to the people. That one. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Carolina. If anyone is interested in getting her book, which you should be, uh, by the way, I had my mother read it and she loved it also. Um, so a favorite poem. I, I read Julia put up here what her favorite poem of, is. Yeah, of course. It was the the one about For the Mothers, I think yeah. it's called. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course it is. Um, but if anyone's interested in getting uh, your book, they can find it on flowersongbooks.com, correct? Uh, anywhere else or just message you directly as well. I was like, girl. <laughs> I have a stack. <laughs> she has a stack. So if your friends on Facebook message her directly, get a copy of this book because it is, it is just a moment of... I, I can't even describe it. It was just a moment. Like I, like I said, I read it outside and it just was like the perfect setting, you know, like with the birds and the breeze and all of that to just like sit in nature and just commune with this book is what it really felt like. So. Uh, and on Twitter, you're see at Seasonettles Cafe. Mm -hmm. Right. And so. you now have a website, Seasonettles Cafe dot. I don't know. <laughs> Cafe, yeah, wigs.com slash 7839QZ slash, yeah, no, okay. Well, it's out there. Seasonettles Cafe, look her up. Uh, thank you for this conversation. Can you please do us the honor of closing us out with one more poem? Yeah. Read. Um... Desmadre, or how to remember the body. Start with the mouth, tell. Each year, 700 women die, 60% preventable. Every day, bodies, women of color, wasted like water. In the body, not drowned by its 60% expanse. Trauma braids itself in the body, a story, repeated until the body heals itself, remembers itself. All the body wants is to survive. Breast surgery will deface the chest. A white meaty slit runs through my right nipple. Milk scabs over before the winter blooms, before I say too much. Esra Abdal Fata Ahmed, kidnapped by security forces in Egypt, resisting Mubarak's regime. All the body wants is to survive. Atatiana Jefferson, murdered by police in her Fort Worth, Texas home. Existing while black, 
all the body wants is to survive. Standing Rock Indian Reservation pipeline, a march of protect protesters, protecting water and sacred ground, all the body wants is to survive. Koyol Chakwi, dismembered by her brother, thrown into the night sky, became the moon, a disremembered sister, undocumented. Rio Grande, taken by the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, gente, lamenting stolen land, stolen water, a drowned father and daughter. All the body wants to do is survive. At 75, bit by a copperhead, grandmother claimed if she ever found that open mouth snake, it would pay for its mistake in biting her. Mother sang coritos for days, mouth wide open, inhaling the healing. End with the mouth tell that was carolina Hinojosa cisneros and boom she just goes just to the <laughs> done. done uh thank you so much for joining us uh for this hour this is thank you thank you very much in very insightful uh very uh, inspiring too, uh, in terms of thinking of our current position and thinking of the future. So I know there's a lot of people out there uh, commenting on just thank you for everything that you've shared with us and just sharing this space uh, with us for this past hour. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. Love you guys. Thank oh. you. So with that, uh, we did mention that this month we are focusing on uh, the the business of poetry. So Eddie, who do we have joining us next week? We have an interesting figure coming to us next week. Uh, somebody I've known for a few years now, uh, been working in uh, poetry with. Um, and some people say he's my doppelganger. Yeah, I, I was gonna say, he is your doppelganger. <laughs> he, he wears, uh, a matter of fact, we've uh, been mistaken online. He's, he's recorded me um, and I've gotten comments that saying that he looked good on that film. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it happens um, and he also looks like Vince Cooper but anyway we wear plaid shirts we have goatees or facial hair or beards uh, or we have this a similar haircut and his name is Edward Vidaure uh, the publisher of Flower Song Books um, so yeah that's that there's there's the logo uh, and he also has a lot of poems himself he's published also and he'll be publishing soon uh, with Aztlan Libre Press um, I hope that's been announced because I just said it anyway. So <laughs> it now. But anyhow, uh, yeah, Edward will be with us next week. That's fantastic. So we've got a publisher joining us next week. Uh, and then let's just spill the tea for the rest of the month. The following week, we're going to have Houston uh, producer and organizer uh, po and poet Amir Safi. Uh, and then we're going to have nationally touring and now internationally famous uh, Kyla Lacey joining us. And we're going to round out the month with former Houston poet laureate Deborah Deep Mooton, 
Uh, so oh. we will definitely be, that's just been confirmed hot off the presses. Uh, so we will definitely have some really interesting insights and perspectives on the business of poetry coming at it from different angles uh, throughout this entire month. So we hope you join us here every Thursday, 7.30 Central Standard Time. That is Eddie Vega. That is Chigurunya. And this has been Words and Shit. Thank you guys so much. Take care of yourselves. Good, Good night, night, everybody.